In the first lesson in this series last weekend, we looked at the importance and the emphasis that is placed on the name of God throughout both Old and New Testaments. Um, Just as a, a little bit of a quick recap, one of the things we emphasized was that the name of God is emphasized more in the Old Testament than sometimes we realize. We are are familiar with the emphasis on the name of Jesus in the New Testament, and we hopefully appreciate that, but it's also very heavily emphasized in the Old Testament. And uh, just to, to give you a quick list, these are some of the things that the Old Testament tells us to do regarding the name of God. It says that we should exalt His name, that we should praise and bless His name, that we should seek His name, that we should call upon His name, sanctify His name, fear His name, love His name, remember His name, think on His name, walk in His name. And that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. It's obviously figurative language. There's no giant tower somewhere with the letters of the name of God there where people physically run into, but it's speaking of a trust and a confidence and a a security and a safety that we find in the power and the authority of the name of God. But then when we move into the New Testament, the Bible also tells us that we should gather in His name, which is what we're doing this morning. We should cast out devils in His name, lay hands on the sick in His name. We can ask in faith in His name. The Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost was sent in His name, that we should hold fast to His name, that we should not deny His name. Further emphasis throughout the New Testament is that in His name will the Gentiles trust, that devils are subject to His name, that He came in His Father's name, that we have life through His name, that we should be baptized in His name, that faith in His name brings miracles, that His name is the only name whereby we must be saved, that remission of sins is in His name, that he is taking out a people for his name. His apostles were commanded by the authorities to stop preaching and teaching in his name. We are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified in his name. The name of Jesus is higher than any other name, and that at that name every knee should bow. God gave him that name. He received his name by inheritance. His name is more excellent that we should pray for the sick in that name. And just in case anything was left out, Paul said, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So that is just to recap what we covered last week. Amen. And we really wanted to emphasize last week that his name has incredible significance from Genesis through to Revelation. And Continuing in that, we want to consider also today how blood is also very important throughout both Old and New Testaments. Amen. And blood, when you study the Scripture, blood has been a constant element in man's approach to God ever since the fall of humanity. When Adam and Eve sinned, and tried to cover their shame with the... They made aprons out of fig leaves. They they tried to cover their shame and to hide from God. The Bible says that when the Lord confronted them and challenged them and, and 
found out, well, he already knew, but when they exposed what had taken place, that the Lord made them coats, the King James says, or garments or robes out of skin to replace their unacceptable attempt at covering themselves. And from this, without spending a lot of time in in the very first couple of chapters of Genesis, there are at least two important things we see from what took place here. The first one is that man's attempt to cover his sin and his shame is never adequate. That even though they made what they considered to be a, a decent attempt, the Lord said it wasn't good enough. And so that lets us know that when we sin, it doesn't matter how well we try to mask it, it's never going to be acceptable. The second thing is that coats of skin were produced, and for that to happen, you don't have to be brilliant to realize that blood had to be shed. And that for, that, for it to be possible, there was the shedding of blood. This is the, the first instance we see in the Scripture where blood was involved in a relationship or in a, a capacity between man that had sinned and a holy God. And it's significant that God chose to do that because we have to keep in mind that the Lord could have used any other option available to him to cover Adam and Eve. He could have used wool, could have shorn a couple of sheep and, and do whatever you do to turn fleece into clothing, but he didn't. He could have used any other natural material that was available to produce a covering, but he deliberately chose something that involved the taking of life and the shedding of blood. It wasn't by accident, but the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And the evidence of sacrifice and blood, this is not a subject that people like today, but it is very important in the Scripture. And hopefully by the time we do the third lesson, we'll tie together the name and the blood and who Jesus Christ is and bring it all together. And hopefully the Lord will help us with our understanding. But the evidence of sacrifice and blood is a part of sinful, fallen humanity's approach to God. And worship of God is seen from the very beginning. We see it with Adam and Eve. We see when Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel, approached the Lord, there was a blood sacrifice that at least one of the young men offered. The other man didn't, and his sacrifice wasn't acceptable. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about how all of that works, but the point was not only was Cain's sacrifice unacceptable, so was the condition of his heart. But the Bible says that the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering because there was blood that was involved. And then when you move on from Cain and Abel and we get to Noah, when Noah was obedient to the Lord and he built the ark and he was saved from the the judgment that came on the earth, when he came down out of the ark, he offered sacrifice. He took of those animals that he had brought onto the ark and... You know, if, if I was Noah, if there was one particular animal that had kept me awake during the night while I was on that boat, it would have been the first one to get the chop. But maybe Noah's not as unpleasant as I am. But, but whatever, Noah came down out of the ark and he offered animal sacrifice unto God in worship and thanksgiving for the fact that he had not perished with the rest of mankind. When you move on from Noah, you get to the patriarchs who we touched on a little bit last week, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of them, in their approach to God, offered sacrifice. Abraham, to the point 
that he was even willing to go as far as to offer his own son. And we know that didn't eventuate, and we, we understand that, that the Lord used that situation to communicate something to Abraham, but to also show us a pattern, that there would come a time when there would be a substitution for our sin and for our sacrifice. Bless the Lord. And when you, when you, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 9, we should probably read some scripture. Genesis chapter 9, the setting is Noah and his family having more or less just come out of the ark. And verse 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So there's, there's a bit in this, but first of all, when Noah came down out of the ark, there appears, as best we can understand, to be a shift in the relationship between mankind and the animal kingdom. Uh, there's some discussion about what was eaten before the flood and what was eaten after the flood, but we definitely know that after the flood, the Lord said, eat whatever you like. The animals are there, eat them, and, and not just the, the things that grow, not just the green herb, but every moving thing shall be meat for you. But the Lord, from very early on, made it clear that if they were going to eat an animal, they could not eat meat in, of an animal that had not been bled. If the blood was still in the body, if the animal still had its blood, they were not to eat that because... The Lord considered the blood to be exactly the same as life. And if the life was in the flesh, they were not to eat of that flesh. And, and really, a lot of people don't realize, but that's where we get the practice from today. Even if you go to an abattoir, and I wouldn't recommend you go unless you've got a strong stomach. But when animals are slaughtered, they are bled. They drain the blood as best they can from the bodies. And that practice goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Amen. So... It was, it was very, it's important from the beginning that we understand that in the sight of God, blood equals life. And several places in the scripture we can see where the Lord said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And right throughout the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, from Noah's day, right up to the law of Moses, and even into the New Testament church in the book of Acts, there was a consistent instruction that blood was not to be consumed. Blood was never to be eaten. It was never, we were not to eat flesh that had the blood in it, nor we'd eat the blood by itself. Under the law of Moses, if you consumed blood, you were to be cut off from the people of God. Now, it would seem that seems to suggest put out of the camp until they'd repented. Sometimes you read cut off in the Old Testament, it means you were killed. Sometimes it means there was just a separation while things were sorted out. But you can look into that 
Now, when we think, you know, in 2016 modern world that we live in, we think, well, that's no problem. I'm not real interested in eating blood anyway. I mean, most of us will probably have trouble hunting and killing our own food. Some of you might think that's fun. I like to hunt my food at Woolworths. I like my food already dead and wrapped in plastic. I, I, I don't want to have to kill something and skin it. Now, some of you might think that's great, and maybe I'm not manly enough, but I'm glad I've never had to kill and eat. I'd like somebody else to take care of that for me. And, but we might think, well, no, that's no problem. I, I'm not even interested in eating blood, which is good. You shouldn't be. But there were, particularly in Bible times, and still are, some cultures where eating blood is a common practice. How many of you have got any Scottish in your ancestry? Well, the Scots have a very traditional dish that is called black pudding, which is basically a big fat sausage made out of blood. It's disgusting. But I've seen it. My mother's, my mother's side of the family, not my mother, but her side of the family used to have it sometimes. And they'd slice that stuff in big old thick slices and it was black and they'd fry it and it looked like a hockey puck to me, but... I would never touch this stuff. But there are some cultures that eat that sort of thing. And they, they quite enjoy that. You know, the consumption of blood, was it figures heavily in pagan worship rituals and in satanic practices. Because it was believed by some that you, it would bring you power if you consumed the blood or the life of your enemies. There were some particularly barbaric people that would drink their enemies' blood from their skulls. Now, that's, you know, I hope nobody's having a rare steak for lunch. But, but these things happened in our world and still do in some places. But the Lord said, you don't consume blood because blood is life. And life comes from God. And it is sacred and it is precious in the sight of the Lord. Now, last week, I hope I didn't gross anybody. That wasn't my in attempt. But... Last week, we looked at how the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had known the name of the Lord up to a certain point, but that when the Lord called Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, they'd had a greater revelation. Moses had said, when I get back to Egypt and they say, who sent you? What is his name? What shall I say? The Lord said, tell them I am that I am. The I am has sent you. And that was a, a new revelation of, of part of God's identity to Moses and to the people of the Lord. And in a sense, because when you look at the timeline from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's sons that as an extended tribe went down into Egypt and spent some 400 years there or thereabouts and went from being prominent people who were given special treatment to becoming enslaved, over that period of time, somewhere along the way, it would seem that their minds were no longer focused on the God of their fathers. Because the Bible does tell us that when they were into slavery, that they began to cry out to God, and he remembered his covenant. It does not mean that God forgot his covenant. It means that when the people began to cry out, he honored the agreement that he already had with his people. Okay, so in a sense, the Lord, when he called Moses to go back as a deliverer, the Lord was reintroducing himself to his own people. Saying, tell them the I am that I am has sent you. Because these people have basically become a nation while in slavery in Egypt. 
But not only, and this is where the two seem to come together, not only does he reintroduce his name to them, but he reminds them or reinstates the role or the significance of blood. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Now, I know some of us have heard a lot of this many times, but it's something that we must never lose sight of because it is front and center in our salvation. So at the beginning of Exodus, the Lord calls Moses. He's out there in the backside of the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep. The Lord gets his attention with a burning bush. It's not consumed. He begins to speak to him and gives him instructions to go back to Egypt. Moses goes back to Egypt and, and begins to tell the people that the Lord wants to deliver them. He begins to tell Pharaoh that he needs to let the slaves go. Pharaoh is not particularly keen on getting rid of his million-man free labor force, which is understandable. And so in, there's a lot of things that take place. But in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, who was Moses' older brother, in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Give you a new calendar. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls, Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. I love that verse because it tells us that doesn't matter how small or insignificant your family is. Everybody needs the lamb. Everybody has to have a lamb. Amen. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head and his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. By the time we reach chapter 12 of Exodus, God has already used Moses as his spokesman to Pharaoh there has been a backwards and forwards conversation going on where Moses will go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and, and Pharaoh is wavering between saying yes and saying no because by this time, God has already afflicted Egypt with nine different plagues. Some of you could probably quote them all. We know 
there was darkness, there was lice, there was a plague of locusts, there was frogs, there was all kinds of gross things. All the water was turned to blood. And the Lord, when, when you study it, some scholars suggest that each plague directly confronted something the Egyptians worshipped. And so the Lord has come with all these different plagues that he's used Moses. And Moses, he said, go to, go to Pharaoh, tell him I'm going to do this. Go to Pharaoh, tell him I'm going to do that. And the Lord did it every time. And, and Pharaoh said, take this plague away and you can go. And when the plague was taken away, he changed his mind and said, no, you have to stay. And this went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards for nine plagues. And finally, the Lord chose the, the last act, if you like, the final step of the process of having his people delivered from Egypt. And just as he could have clothed Adam and Eve with anything he wanted to, his final act in Egypt could have been anything God wanted. He could have done any miracle, brought any disaster, brought any plague, brought any catastrophe. He could have done whatever. He, he could have blinded every Egyptian so that the Israelites could just walk out of town. and nobody. Could, he could have done anything because he can do anything. But just as he chose to involve blood in the garden when his first children sinned, so he did here when he instituted the Passover. It was deliberate. It wasn't because he was out of options or it was just something he liked to do. It was deliberate. Blood was deliberately involved. And the Lord could have brought deliverance with plague number one. He could have just come into Egypt and gone bang and wiped them out and said, right, guys, let's go to the promised land. But he deliberately went through this process where he demonstrated that he was greater than every Egyptian god. And when that was finished, he said, all right, this is what I really want them to see. This is the picture. This is the image. This is what is going to become a part of who they are. Because you see, from this day forward, every year the Israelites had to remember the Passover. There was no instruction to remember the plague of frogs or darkness or any of the other nine plagues that the Lord brought. But this one was to be the beginning of their calendar. It was a part of their national identity and was to be one of the most important days in the Jewish year. And just, there's no reason, there's no, sorry, there's no coincidence that the blood of a spotless lamb would both protect from judgment and deliver from captivity at the same time. There's a reason that God chose to do that. Amen. Just like he did for us. And we'll get into some of that shortly. But then when finally that takes place, and Moses leads them out, and they come to the edge of the Red Sea, and we know what took place there. The Lord miraculously brought them through the Red Sea. And you know what's amazing about human nature? I was reading it the other day. The Lord opens the waters of the Red Sea. I mean, that doesn't happen just every day of the week. I've never seen that in my lifetime. As far as I'm aware, there's only one recorded event. Well, actually, obviously, the River Jordan as well. But the Red Sea was probably a little bit more impressive than the River Jordan. He brought his people through a sea on dry ground. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. They dance. They sing. They write songs as they're singing about the Lord has triumphed victoriously. The horse and rider has fallen in the sea and they, they praise God. And Moses's 90-something-year-old sister leads the worship team and have this incredible time of worship. And then something like three or four days later, they get to this place where there's water, but the water's bitter. 
And the same people, and it may have been more than a few days, but it wasn't very long. The same people said, you've brought us out here to die. Moses is like, do you not remember the Red Sea? Do you not remember what just happened? But there's something in us that the challenge of the present can very easily cause us to forget the victory of the past. I mean, you think about it rationally, you think, if I've seen God bring me through the Red Sea, he's got whatever happens, he's got this. But there's something in our natural thinking, in mine as well as yours, that the challenge of the present day causes us to forget everything that he's done for us in the past. But when you stop and think about it, every situation that you've ever faced, every heartache, every valley, every dark night, every agony, every pain, everything you've ever faced, you're still here. Which means that so far, his success rate is pretty high. So far, he hasn't failed. And yet there just seems to be something in us. We have often spoken about how sometimes you read about Israel and how foolish they seem and then we turn around and behave in exactly the same fashion. We may not have a Red Sea, we may not have a bitter well, but whatever it is, the, the parallels are the same throughout humanity, throughout time. Amen. But so they come through this, this period and Moses leads them to Mount Sinai where the Lord gives him the law. Let's go to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. We're talking about the blood this morning. Verse 3. Moses came and told told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill. That means at the base of the mountain. He didn't build it under the hill. And 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And the Lord took half of the, sorry, the Lord, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, not teaspoons, basins. And half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the the book of the covenant, the law that he'd written out, and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. We know how long that lasted. And verse 8 says, and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So Moses, this is, we spoke I think it might have been Wednesday night about the fact that Moses had to uh, go and get the, the Ten Commandments the second time. This is talking about the first time. Moses is up on the mountain. The Lord's given him the law. He's had this incredible experience with the, with the Lord. He's come down. He's written down all the things that the Lord has told him the people have to do. They've had all these animal sacrifices and got some big old buckets of blood. And he stood there at the front of the church and read the law and everybody said, Amen, Brother Moses, we're with you all the way. We'll do what the Lord says. 
He sprinkles the blood on the book and on the people. Now, we, we don't like the way that sounds, but it was there for a reason. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. In other words, this is my word, which I'm giving you to obey. This blood is the deal sealer. This is the token that says there's a covenant here. It was the symbol. And you could study the, for a long uh, hours about the token of the blood and the token of the name and how they're, they're related. And we'll, we'll maybe get to that in lesson three. But he said, this is the blood of the covenant. You've entered into something that is binding, that is a matter of life and death. Death was involved in sealing the covenant with the people of Israel. Again, there had to be the shedding of blood. It was not something that was entered into lightly, but it was a covenant sealed with blood. And years later, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses would be reminding the children of Israel of what God had done for them and of the law that he had given them. And Moses said these words that many of us know well. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Take it seriously. Amen. Take it seriously. Bless you. Then Israel continued on in the exodus and the tabernacle in the wilderness was constructed the house of god that their worship focused around and everything they did in that tabernacle involved blood as well and i'm not going to take the time to go through it all but the, the the biggest piece of furniture was the altar of sacrifice blood was shed blood was taken it was applied to the other articles of furniture it was applied to aaron and his sons as the priesthood they were to take blood, put some on his right ear, put some on the thumb of his right hand, put some on the big toe of his right foot. You can look into the significance of all of that. But the point this morning is that the blood was there all the way. It was there all the way. And you think, Lord, you know, it's gory. Why? Because life and blood could not be separated. And the relationship that God has always wanted to have with humanity is one of life. But sin introduced death. Bless the Lord. More on that shortly. The Day of Atonement is possibly one of the most significant days as well on the Jewish calendar. I think, I could be wrong here, but I think that's the one they call Yom Kippur now. Is that right? You guys that know that stuff? Somebody nod knowingly. I got one nod. That's good. I'm on the right track. But it is the day that once a year, the high priest was to bring a particular sacrifice and to take the blood from that take some coals from the altar, put them on a, on a censer with incense, and to go into the Holy of Holies. First, he had to offer blood for himself and his family. And there's a lesson there for those of us that are involved in ministry. You've got to be right first. And secondly, he had to offer the blood on the mercy seat for the people of Israel. Again, on that day, if they messed that up, things went really bad, and the high priest died in the presence of the Lord. But when they did what the Lord said they were supposed to do with the right spirit and obeyed the law of the Lord, then the judgment of God was withheld. Blood was involved all of the way. And I know last week I really labored on the significance of the name of God, and I'm doing it this morning about the blood because they both matter. 
blood matters. The very important components of the Word of God. And when we finish this series off in the next lesson, which may be in a few weeks because of our guests, hopefully we'll bring it all together. But as Jesus prepared to face Calvary, and I'm moving into the New Testament now and trying to move along. As he prepared to face the cross, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the words are recorded when he was having the Passover meal with his disciples. Is that coincidence? Nothing is coincidence in the Word of God. He sat with them eating the flesh of a lamb that had been eaten on that day every year since the book of Exodus. And as he sat with them and they remembered everything that was being recognized, he passed around a cup of wine or grape juice. You can argue about that if you want to. And he said to them, this is my blood of the New Testament or the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He said there was a covenant that was made on this day all those years ago. He said, but my blood is going to be the seal of a new covenant. And it's going to be for the remission of sins. And if you read in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul taught us about the right way to have communion, you'll see he repeated those words that the Lord said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Why did Jesus have to die? Why was it necessary for him to die? Why did his blood have to be shed? From the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve that if they disobeyed his instruction, now in the garden they really only had the one law, or the one thou shalt not. They had things that the Lord told them to do. But the, the, the one that we are aware of is the Lord said you don't eat of that particular tree, that tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you, sh- you eat of that, you will surely die. You'll die. Now, we know they didn't drop dead, but death entered physically, and death was instant spiritually. They were separated from God. Their bodies began to degenerate. It's hard for us to imagine the, the bodies of Adam and Eve before sin. No flaws, no illnesses. No defects, no, no infections, no, no bad cells doing crazy things like they do in so many people's bodies today. None of, none of that was there. And their bodies were made perfect. And yet when they disobeyed the instruction of God, corruption set in spiritually, morally, and physically. They suddenly became aware of evil in their thinking. That's why they tried to cover up. And those bodies begin the countdown clock. Now, it was a lot, they had a lot longer lives than we did, but before they sinned, there was no clock. But when sin entered, and death entered, and life is in the blood, so blood is shed in death. That's why in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, and some of us could quote this, it tells us that when we sin, the wages of our sin or the payment that we earn is death it's death it's the shedding of blood when I sinned I earned my own death I earned my own death the consequences of my actions should have been that my blood should be shed that the life should flow out of my body and that I should die 
That's what I earned. That's what I deserved. It's the payment that I should have received. But in Romans chapter 5, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will somebody die. For a good man, maybe, or peradventure, someone might be willing to die. In other words, it's not, we're not always willing to die for one another. And when somebody does give their life, it's, it's, it's quite a significant thing. It's not common. It usually will make the news. Somebody's a hero. They've laid down their life for somebody else. He said, but usually if, if they'll go to that extreme, it's because that person was a good person. There was something about them. But then the writer said, but God. But God. Hallelujah. I was not a good person. I was not upstanding, virtuous or righteous, but I was filthy and covered with sin and deserved to die. But Paul wrote and he said, But God, while I was yet a sinner, He died for me. Not because I was a good person, not because I was famous or powerful or wealthy or talented, but I was filthy and of no attraction whatsoever. And it says, while I was yet in that state, he commended his love toward me and died for me. And if that doesn't stir something in your spirit this morning, that ought to trouble you. Because while we were filthy, while we deserved everything we had come, and he said, I will die for you. I will take your place. You don't deserve it. That's true. But my love for you is such that I will die while you're filthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's as if we were all lined up at a pay office. In the old days when men would line up, and well, ladies as well, but back then ladies didn't work as much because they were at home with the, with the family. And I'm not getting sidetracked into that. That's another story. Get myself in all kinds of trouble. Not prepared for that this morning. But they would line up at the payroll office waiting to get their check or their cash. Now, that was a good thing if you, if you earned that money. But in the spiritual sense, every single one of us is lined up at the payroll office. And death was the check that was waiting for us. And we couldn't get out of that line. You couldn't leave the line. You couldn't say, well, I don't want this job. You've earned the pay. The payment is death. And you're in that line and you can't get out of that line. doesn't matter where you live. doesn't matter what language you speak, what your culture is, whether your grandparents were Buddhist, Hindu or apostolic. We were all in that line. And on one side of the line is time. The clock is ticking. And you don't know how long your clock will tick. Because it's not about the order of the line. Everybody's clock is at a different time. Time is not on our side. And on the other side of the line, if I can paint this picture, is the Lord walking up and down saying, would you like me to take your place in the line? Can I step into the line for you? Can I take that payment? Would you like me to take your place? Would you like to get out of the line and have me step in and take your place? And people are looking and saying, why would you do that? And people doubt. And people, But some of us along the way, by the grace and the mercy of God, have said, I'll take it. I don't deserve it. But if he will step in the line for me this morning 
and he will give his life and take my paycheck. I'll take that opportunity because I don't know how long I've got left on the clock. I don't know how long it's going to keep ticking. At some point, my number's coming up and my time is over. But while there is hope, the Savior of the world walks up and down the line of humanity and says, would you like me to take your place? I know you're filthy. I know you're disgusting. You're sinful. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a fornicator. Whatever it is, but I'll step in that line and take your paycheck. Hallelujah. If he was going to be my saviour, if he was going to be my redeemer, there's no other way than the shedding of his blood. Because I earned death. I cannot escape the payment that I've earned unless somebody else will take my place. And because he's sinless, because he is without sin, he can't just do it for me. He can do it for every single person up and down that line again and again and again. You know, there have been times in my life, if I'm honest, when I look back in my own foolishness and my flesh, I've got back in the line of my own accord. I don't understand how stupid I could be sometimes that I've got back in that line and signed up for that check again. And he's come back and said, are you sure you want to do this? I can step back in that line again. I've still got enough blood to cover your sin again. Harley, why don't you lift your hands and worship him for a moment this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus. We could not save ourselves. The Bible tells us about a time when Jesus came to a pool at Bethesda, which the scripture mentions was near the sheep gate. You know, there's a reason for that. It wouldn't have been a very pretty place. It would have been smelly. But there were people there that were desperate. They had illnesses that they couldn't heal. No doctor could heal them. And the Bible says that at a certain season, nobody knew exactly when, but an angel would come down, trouble that water, and the first person that dragged themselves into that pool would receive their miracle. What a miserable place. You know, we read that story, and for one man it was a great outcome, but what a place of hopelessness and desperation of people with diseases and illnesses and all manner of things wrong with them hanging around desperate to beat the other person to be the first one into the water. And Jesus walks in and says, will you be made whole? He says, sir, I don't have a man. Jesus says, I'll be the man. I'll be the man. He took those stripes upon his back. Every sin, every illness, every disease that I can heal it. Hallelujah, I can restore. I can make you whole. Acts chapter 20 tells us that the church, this thing that we're in, not these bricks, but you and I were purchased not with silver and gold, but with his own blood. With his own blood this morning. Romans 3 and 25 says that we receive propitiation through faith in his blood. Our sins are atoned for, they're, they're covered over to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. Romans 5 and 9 says that we are now justified by his blood. That means we are made right. By his blood. Ephesians 1 and 7 says we have redemption through his blood. It was the price that he paid 
for our sins. And I just referenced this, but First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 tells us that we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Sister Stanker, if I could have you on the piano, please. I know this is a lesson this morning, but when you talk about the blood, something happens. Curse the Lord. You can read, I was going to spend some time there this morning, but you can read it later. Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 spend so much time talking about the old tabernacle, that old temple, that mercy seat, that high priest. But it makes it very clear that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. But Jesus being once offered hundreds and thousands of sacrifices took place from the book of exodus right up to the new testament thousands and thousands can't even begin to imagine how many lambs were slaughtered every year at passover how many houses there were in a nation every year animals die day of atonement this sacrifice that sin offering this situation blood 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 everywhere But then one man, without sin, offered once. Ephesians 2 and 13 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. This morning, if you feel like you're a little far off, the blood's still there. Hallelujah. I'm going to read something to you. As we stand together, in 1830, a long time ago, in the USA, there was a man named George Wilson who killed a government employee who caught him in the act of robbing the mail. He was tried and sentenced to be hanged. However, President Andrew Jackson sent him a pardon. doesn't say why, just says the president sent him a pardon. But Wilson did a strange thing. He refused to accept the pardon. Nobody knew what to do. So the case was carried all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States and Chief Justice Marshall, who was considered one of the greatest justices ever, wrote the court's opinion. In it he said, A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And so he was. The pages of this book are given to us, not physically, but spiritually, they're stained with blood. And if we need to this morning, for whatever reason, Maybe you just want to draw an eye. Maybe you've got some sin you need to sort out. The Redeemer, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is still walking up and down that pay line today. Saying, would anybody like me to take their place? These altars are open this morning as we worship Him.